Welcome to the Vegan Report. My name is Ryan and today we are going to talk about veganism and Buddhism. There are maybe hundreds, if not thousands of vegan outreach initiatives out there. But among them, there are relatively very few seeking to open dialogue with religious leaders. I think, for instance, that I never saw Earthling Ed debating a rabbi or a priest. Yet, strategically, I believe it is more valuable to share the vegan message of compassion with religious leaders than school children, college kids, or random people in the streets, since those religious leaders will influence the hearts and minds of believers for decades to come. For this week's episode, I want to turn my attention to Buddhism, the fourth most practiced religion with approximately 500 million followers worldwide. To give you an idea of how big this number is, think that the global vegan population, this is you and me listeners, is of approximately 79 million people. 79 versus 500. Imagine what the world would look like if those 500 million Buddhists considered adopting veganism. To discuss this topic, I have with me a vegan monk, Bhikkhu Sonyo, who resides at Bodhinyana Monastery in Australia. Venerable, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, thank you so much, Ryan. It, it, it's, uh, I haven't really talked about veganism before in my uh, position as a Buddhist monk, but uh, I'm happy to do it with you today. Yeah. I do know Earthling Ed as well. Really? <laughs> and he, he, he often engages in uh, very uh, wise debates, um, but... From the Buddhist perspective, we uh, maybe approach things more from the heart as well. So maybe we can talk about that a little bit more later as well, because uh, from previous conversations with you, I've learned that you already know quite a lot about Buddhism as well. So yes. that's very nice. Yes, of course. Um, maybe listeners should know that I, I have a bias since I identify as a Buddhist. <laughs> so, <laughs> but me, uh, me too. I also have a bias, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, I'll try to be objective uh, in, in my questioning and thinking about uh, non-Buddhist uh, perspective to, to the conversation. Um, so the first question I, I wanted to ask you uh, in order to launch this conversation is, um, what is startling, <laughs> what is surprising about Buddhism is that uh, the religion has a long history of respect and regard towards animals. For example, Ashoka, a Buddhist emperor, issued humanity's first animal welfare laws. And of course, there is a, a long history of Mahayana Buddhism, a Buddhist tradition mostly practiced in China, advocating strongly for vegetarianism. Um, so my first question for you is, why is it that modern-day Buddhists do not embrace more widely the animal cause and veganism? Oh, that's a very good question. And I didn't know that uh, that uh, King Ashoka laid down the first animal rights law. That's interesting to know. I might have uh, to look that up. But why do Buddhists in general not more widely accept veganism or um, maybe even vegetarianism actually is uh, more rare in some tradition than you might expect? And I have thought about that. I, of course, don't have a definite answer because I would have to ask <laughs> all Buddhists why they individually don't uh, become, for example, vegans. But I think it's for the exact same reasons that other people 
in the world don't uh, consider veganism more seriously. Uh, it's just being, I think, ill-informed about what is going on in the animal industry, um, ill-informed about uh, that it can be healthy to be a vegan. And to, for me to be a vegan, uh, I have to keep encouraging myself <laughs> uh, and to keep reminding myself of the that it's healthy and that it is uh, very good for animal welfare. And you really have to do some, in my opinion, or my experience, have to do some deep digging into the subject to really be 100% convinced about its benefits. And that is something that most Buddhists have not done, just like normal people mostly will not have done. And if, if they would, I think they would be coming to the conclusion that there is a lot of benefit in the vegan diet, not only for themselves, but more so also for animal welfare in general. For example, this is actually an argument that I've sometimes heard from fellow Buddhists. They know that eating meat, uh, eating animal products leads to harm for animals. That's very obvious, of course, if you just think about it for a moment. But then the argument I've sometimes heard as well, eating a vegan diet also harms animals as well, because you still have to produce crops and you have to uh, feed, uh, sorry, you have to uh, yeah, produce crops and mow the fields and stuff. So you, you're killing animals just the same. But uh, it's a little bit of a simplified argument because most people will not know that. I don't know what the exact percentages are, but let's say that like 70 or 75% or maybe even more of all crops in the world are grown to feed animals your listeners will probably know this but so most of the harvesting and most of the killing of even smaller animals happens to feed bigger animals so if you want to be uh, reduce animal suffering it's like, it's like a double whammy if you become a vegan first of all <laughs> you don't kill the uh, the the cows and the pigs and, and the chickens well I mean, you don't are not involved in their killing. And also you're less involved in the production of crops in the world. And I, I, you, you probably know these things much better than I do. But uh, it's like I heard once that if all the animal, the, all the agriculture that is in the world that supports the livestock industry, all the grazing pastures and all the uh, soy production and all the maize production if that was all uh, stopped then would open up an area of land the size of africa i once heard uh maybe it's not that big but let's say it was half half of africa uh, then it would still <laughs> be such so much so that, that gives you a little bit of a perspective on uh, um, that, 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 that the raising of cows and pigs actually is they're, they're killing 
is not limited just to those cows and pigs, but also all in all the agriculture that goes before it to 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 produce their their feedstock like their soy and whatever else they eat. So that that's one thing that Buddhists haven't thought about, just the same as 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 other people. Yeah. And that's just an example, but it goes for other things as well. Yeah, the, the health benefits, the the animal welfare things. Buddhists are just also not informed. And I think if they were, they would consider it more seriously. Well, what I get from your answer is that you're optimistic or at least hopeful in the fact that if we put some efforts in talking with Buddhists and maybe even religious leaders, you know, monastics in, in the, in the Buddhist community, um, we would be able to influence them, convince them, or make them see that, um, veganism is a better choice and maybe not, you know, complete veganism. Maybe it's about, you know, reducing your, uh, animal product intake um, maybe it's a more moderate message but um, I get the sense that you think that the Buddhist population would be receptive to the message I think so because as your most of your listeners probably won't know much about Buddhism but what they probably do know is that one of the central important aspects in Buddhism is compassion and kindness not only to other humans but also to all living beings and one of the most famous uh, buddhist chantings is actually about spreading kindness to all living beings whether they are uh, whether they are human or animals or strong or weak may all beings be happy whatever living beings there may be whether strong omitting none the great or the mighty medium short or small and this is something that is very much in the uh, general mindset Buddhist then they so they should be uh, have this compassion towards animals I, I think most people will have this innate compassion towards animals i don't want to uh, say buddhists are like better in this or whatever but they at least should already be sort of inclined in that direction and um, because of this general tendency to to practice compassion but then, and i think it's just mainly misinformation about what i talked before but also how bad the animal industry actually is about how how much animals are actually harmed in the in the process of making some little bit of food on your plate <laughs> and uh, that is also something that might be something that people in general but also buddhists may consider more because you know it's always in our in our minds it's always weighing costs and benefits in whatever we do and it's the same with veganism it's like the, the benefits are um it's easier to not be a vegan 
I mean, the benefits of not being vegan are uh, you, you can have more choice for whatever you eat and you don't have to restrict your desires. You don't have to plan your lunches as much. Uh, but you have to weigh that uh, against the uh, the downsides, which is like what, what happens to other beings in the process. Yeah, so I do have um, faith that veganism can grow and also can grow inside of Buddhist population for that reason. But of course, there's other factors weighing in as well, which might give you less faith. But I also always try to focus <laughs> on the on the things that give me faith. <laughs> well, yeah. then let's focus on that and let's dive right in into um, the the argument, the Buddhist argument for uh, veganism, if I can put it this way. Um, so you you mentioned the Metta Sutta, which <laughs> yeah, is the the chanting. Metta Sutta. Yes, the Metta Sutta. Yeah. Uh, in that, yes, the Buddha invites us to spread loving kindness to all beings, to all living beings. Can you give us like um, an idea of how meaningful that chanting is uh, for Buddhists? And what is the, the the function of it in a in the Buddhist practice? Yeah, how meaningful it is to Buddhists, it will differ from individual to individual, of course. But in general, it is uh, one of the very, most well-known chantings and also one of the most well-known practices. So Buddhists, we practice meditation and meditation most people will know maybe the word mindfulness, most of your listeners, and that is one way of meditating, but we also have a way of meditating that we actively try to um, develop positive emotional states of mind and also positive uh, attitudes of the heart. So you, you call it metta, but it, it means uh, it means like kindness or even love towards other beings, not like sensual love, but just like uh, the love of a mother to a child is what it says in that actual chant, actually. So we try to develop that love for all all beings. And if you do that, you will uh, look at the world differently and you will act differently as well. Because I said before, all, all people will have some innate compassion and, and love. People will know what I'm talking about, even if they're not Buddhist. But if you develop it more actively and remind yourself of it let's say every day like i do then it will change your life and it will change not only your your mind but also the way you act uh, towards other people and other beings as well for example we as monks we also have a rule that we are not allowed to kill even like a small insect and if we do we will have to confess it uh, uh, by killing i mean like intentional killing because sometimes you can't avoid it like you're walking i live in a forest <laughs> sometimes i walk outdoor and i step on an end okay uh, i can't really do much about that uh, because they're all over the place you try to avoid it but we, we're not supposed to intentionally go uh, around and, and stomp on ants <laughs> that's what i'm saying yeah, or even if they invade your private space i once had a, an ant's nest in my hut we monks we in this monastery we live in little huts in forest they're, they're not like wooden huts or something they're, they're they're made of stone they're sort of pretty pretty strong and nice to live in 
uh, once I had like ants invading in my hut and we're not allowed to kill ants, but uh, I told my mother, she said, yeah, you should use that uh, ant poison stuff that are, that are killed. <laughs> uh, but of course I didn't. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I eventually I got like a leaf blower and try to blow them all out of the door and that worked pretty well. I probably maybe killed some in the process, but not intentionally. I did my best because there were like hundreds. Anyway, what I'm saying is this, uh, this practice of loving kindness ideally is not just something that is just a mindset, but also that something that has actual physical results in, in, in our actions. Well, it's a, it's a radical attitude of uh, benevolence towards truly all beings, like you said, um, including ants. And, you know, it's, um, it's in, I find it very, you know, incredible in its, you know, um, like I said, how radical it is and how it encompasses every being. Because I think that historically, most philosophical traditions and uh, religions have put the emphasis on humanity. So you had, for instance, humanism. And there was this anthropocentrism that um, came about where the main focus is our relationship with other humans and uh, being considerate toward other humans. And, um, you know, another word for anthropocentrism is human exceptionalism. So you had a, truly a hierarchy of, here are the humans, they are like the chosen one, they are, um, you know, they have this genealogy, you know, coming from divinity or something like that. And then you had the lesser beings who did not deserve the same consideration and, um, you know, same loving kindness and those we call animals. But I feel like Buddhism blurs the line just by the fact of, you know, believing in another, you know, core belief of Buddhism, of Buddhism is uh, reincarnation. And so there's this belief that um, when you die, you could be reborn into an animal, it could be reborn into the animal realm. And so I feel like the, the, there is this, truly this attitude of, first of all, you're not that different from other animals, and that makes them just as much deserving of your love and consideration. Would you agree with that assessment? Yes, yes, that's a very good good thing, actually. And when some religions, they state in their seminal texts, something like uh, God created animals to... Uh, serve humans or something like that or humans to rule over the animals or whatever it says it's something like that in the bible in, in genesis or something but in buddhism we don't have that and that kind of idea that certain beings are higher or than other beings of course some beings are more intelligent than others by the virtue of where they're born like if i'm born a human i'm gonna be more intelligent than an ant Probably, <laughs> uh, well, even that is actually not uh, not. Uh, it's a little bit of a tension, but not really answering your questions. But, but sometimes people say uh, have this argument for veganism that humans are more intelligent than animals. But not all humans are as intelligent. You, some humans they have uh, like uh, mental uh, uh, um, 
challenges and we don't go kill those humans just because they're less intelligent so anyway you can't judge by intelligence which which beings are more worthy of others is what i'm saying in a bit of a bit of a bad way but um to get back to the reincarnation questions or, or rebirth yeah that is something most of your listeners may not uh, accept but in buddhism that is the general accepted view that we don't have just a, a single life but we get reborn in other places as well and have been reborn uh, in other lives as well including also as as animals as well and it's also said in the text that to reflect upon all other animals that because we've been re reborn so many times that it is likely that animals you meet they have been like your family members in in a past life <laughs> it sounds a little bit abstract and maybe a bit uh, far-fetched for some of your listeners but that is what B buddhists in general believe not all buddhists but most buddhists believe and so when you that is something to maybe buddhists should reflect upon more as well that if you eat a steak then you're sort of like eating your um, i don't know your mother of a past life <laughs> in a way and so that is also something that comes back to this compassion as well you know um to realize that animals right now from a buddhist perspective animals in like a slaughterhouse for example is in a same situation that you might have been in or might be in a future life maybe if you're reborn as a as a cow again maybe so you you what i'm saying is you relate to animals not as a different different species or a lower species but you just put themselves in their in their place and you can do this of course without a belief in rebirth very just as well but it the belief in rebirth does give it an extra oomph because you know that it, it is not just imagining yourself in a place but you could be in that place in a next life from the buddhist perspective yeah and that makes another very powerful argument for any for instance buddhist who would be listening to this conversation and who is not vegan or who might be considering going vegan yeah it will be make an emotional argument for sure uh but uh, yeah i also have to be informed actually how how badly slaughterhouses is because sometimes you hear uh like uh it's it's humane killing or animals aren't really hurt they just uh get, get like uh uh, an injection or whatever like in gas chambers or something and they don't feel anything but uh, if you're I'm, i will not explain this to your listeners but if you're a little bit more informed about what goes on in those kind of slaughterhouses and even in the raising of animals uh, then even in like their the production of dairy a lot of suffering goes on which you'll never expect if you just see like if you, you 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 grab a bottle of milk and it has these happy cows in the field on the front mm -hmm. and when i was a little boy i i believed that and my favorite animal was a cow I even gave a <laughs> when i was like 10 years old like in, in, you had to give these little talks in the in, in primary school and i gave like this talk about cows and how great they are to give milk and stuff 
but now I probably would not uh, give the talk in the same way that I did then because I'm more informed. Now. Yeah. Well, I want to get back to what you said about uh, intelligence because um, something else people tend to do who are not vegan or not truly considerate toward animals is claim, um, oh, humans are so intelligent and then they will um, identify all the great inventions and um, all you know the symphonies and the the rockets and and all of those you know the medicine and, and they will say that those things you know humans have done and, and animals will never do but um, th th there is a flaw with that which is those things have are um, are the result of yes um, humans thinking and uh, advancing science and and all of that but not all humans um one percent of humanity maybe you know is responsible for all of those great innovations and you know sh should we put you know moral value on on the life of someone because of how smart they are Do doesn't seem very compassionate <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's a nice argument. Well, people might argue that the other ninety nine percent of people uh, enable other people, <laughs> the one percent to to make the rockets. I don't know, but uh, it is uh, just to answer again from a Buddhist perspective because you invited me in in the position of a Buddhist monk. Is that from from our perspective, what makes humans great is not their achievements in science or technology or even uh, in, 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 in art or, or, or culture. What makes human great or gives humans the possibility to be great is their development of their, of their mind and to be wise, not about, I, I studied engineering as a lay person, but so, uh, I had a high degree, but that, from a Buddhist perspective, that doesn't make you wise. It makes you wise how you act, what you do if you act out of kindness, if you act out of uh, less greed and hatred. That is what makes humans potentially great. And in that sense, animals can often surpass certain humans. I live in a forest in Australia and there is these all these animals in the forest but especially also kangaroos and they will never hurt you you know they will they will just even come to you and smell and are interested in you but they'll never go and say anything bad <laughs> to you or uh, or kick you or whatever and uh, same for all the other animals here in the forest. Maybe something like a spider bites you, but they don't have any bad intention. It's just the nature of a spider. So in that sense, animals are actually, I would say, <laughs> pretty wise actually sometimes. Yeah. And um, also, this, this maybe goes for... Again, for your general listener, a bit, bit far-fetched, but in Buddhism, we also believe that there is higher beings than humans. <laughs> um, humans have all the possibilities to become wise, like uh, a Buddha 
or develop their compassion like a Buddha. But we also believe that there's higher beings like what in other religions they might call like uh, angels or gods or whatever. We Most Buddhists believe in that as well. And if you come from this perspective of the more higher intelligent being can rule over the lower ones, then we should submit that those uh, higher beings should uh, can do with us what <laughs> they want. <laughs> but they don't. But the uh, oh, Buddhists who believe in them, they know that they don't do that. But uh, yeah, it's just that this argument of hierarchy is flawed, in my opinion, for various reasons. Yeah. Well, even if there is no um, belief uh, in, in those in reincarnation or uh, um, in higher beings, just the fact of having this cosmological perspective um, is is fascinating because it, you know it all this human narcissism that that we have you know this. Um, entitlement to just destroy forests and use uh, resources like we want and exploit animals all of that is reduced by this uh, vision by this perspective um, this perspective does not allow such um, actions or or thoughts or um, you know ways to to, um, to to be yeah yeah that's an interesting interesting uh, uh interesting observation that it if if it isn't true what i'm saying about rebirth and everything otherwise uh, if it even if it's not true for people who believe in it it changes the way they look at life and that is already very powerful in itself i believe yeah or can be anyway and you mentioned before um um, killing, you know, how um, you, you tried not to kill intentionally living beings. Well, that is actually the very first precept that any Buddhist is supposed to take, you know, uh, abstaining from killing sentient beings, um, whatever that being might be, not just humans, but including animals. So I guess right off the bat, hunting is out of the question. But then you have certain Buddhists who will say, okay, eating meat is not killing um, beings because I'm purchasing the meat, someone else is doing the killing. Um, and that argument, uh, I've read it multiple times, um, you know, online or um, on all sorts of articles. And I was wondering if you had a response to that. Yes, I think those people have a point but also should maybe reflect a bit more deeply because the, the first precept is indeed to not intentionally kill animals for ourselves so if you eat meat you're not intentionally killing animals when i was a layperson i already was thinking about a layperson is like before i became a monk is that what that means and before i was a monk I already thought about this and I thought, well, I might not be intentionally killing a cow myself when I eat meat, like a hamburger or whatever, but it is, it is like my diet is connected to the actions of others. 
when I go to the store and buy a hamburger, then that gives the message to the store to buy more hamburgers to sell, which gives a message to the slaughterhouse to kill more animals. It's like the, the sales of their, their meat directly influences what happens in the world. So although I wasn't killing animals myself, I still at that point decided to, at that point I was a vegetarian because I was not, uh, mainly because I wasn't uh, informed enough about the, the the dietary side of veganism. I thought you needed like uh, milk and stuff to be healthy, which uh, I now know isn't true, but that's what I thought back then. Um, and the, the yeah, this is maybe a way to put it. That first precept is well known for its negative phrasing. When it and by that I mean to not kill living beings. That is the short version, but in many of the texts, it's actually expanded that first precept, and it doesn't stop there at the negative. It actually also adds some positive injunctions as well. It says, "Okay, not kill living beings, and to live to live with a compassionate heart towards all living beings." With is like an idiom says, "Your swords and rods laid aside," which means you're not gonna. Uh, stab them or hurt anybody but it also is about developing a more kind attitude in general not just not killing but also to make sure that other animals can just like human animals can live in a in a in a, in, in a comfortable <laughs> way to put it that way so yeah and there's, there's more to it than just not killing. But maybe you have a follow-up question for that. Well, my first, I have two follow-up questions. Uh, my first one is, why is it the first precept? Because there are most lay Buddhists will take five precepts and this is the first one. Uh, is there any importance to that, uh, the fact that it is the, the first one? Not sure if there is, but even if it's not the first one, it's one of only five. <laughs> so it has a prominent place regardless of whether it's the first or the fifth one. And Buddhists practice more than just those five rules, generally speaking. And as monastics, monks and nuns, we have many, many more rules than that as well. But just considering that it's one of the five like seminal rules in Buddhism to not kill, not just kill like your neighbor or kill other humans, but kill any animals at all. That is very, uh, very Im impressive to me. And it's even the first year I've never really thought about that. But generally in Buddhism, things are ordered for specific reasons. Actually, we, we have all these lists of things in Buddhism. I won't bore your audience with it, but uh, there, there are some reasons why things are like listed in, in, in and numbered. And usually there's a reason for it. Yeah, so maybe it, it is at the top because it is so important because the other rules in there are like not stealing and not lying and those kind of things. But um, yeah, killing is maybe if, if you engage in it is uh, 
comes from the Buddhist perspective for, from a more unwholesome, unhealthy mindset, than, even more unwholesome than things like stealing and lying. Yeah, maybe that's why. Well, let's talk about that because I think when listeners hear, hear me or hear you say uh, precepts, uh, they hear commandments and they think, oh, um, what happens if I break those precepts? Do I go to hell? And why? What is the reason for uh, those precepts? Right. Yeah. So we call them precepts, but they're more like training rules. Um, so it's it's something that we, we train and then do our best to practice as well as we can. I just talked about the, that first training rule the first precept about not killing it doesn't just end at not killing there's more to it to develop a kind and compassionate heart and there is not really an end to <laughs> developing a kind and compassionate heart from a buddhist perspective you can develop that for your whole life basically so it's not like the rule um, is only about breaking it or not breaking it it's about also developing positive sides of it as well and even if sometimes you you fail to live up to your standards of those of those rules or those practice rules let's, let's call them then you, you don't go immediately to hell or something when you do that it is uh, a means of improving yourself and to realize which things in life are not worth pursuing and which things in life are worth pursuing for example, the it's a little bit off the topic of veganism, but uh, it gives a good analogy. Is the precept about lying? Uh, we practice to not lie and always tell the truth. But many people they sometimes tell these small, wide lies to make themselves look better or whatever. Uh, or ah, maybe it's not a lie, but it's like a like a sort of half truth. Or you just you know what I'm talking about and. That is just something that is sometimes so ingrained in our system that we just automatically do it without thinking about it. And the Buddhist practice is to slowly get better at things. So you, first you stop the big lies like, uh, oh, yeah, I was at my work last night when you actually were <laughs> with, with somebody else or whatever. Those kind of lies you stop first and then gradually you start also removing bigger lies from your life. And it's the same with, with uh, the killing precept as well. You just start where you can and try to improve yourself as a person. That's what it's all about. Maybe that's the way to summarize it. It's about improving yourself as a person. And it's unlike other religions, we don't have like a, a, a divine deity who's looking over us and punishes us when we do something wrong. It's all about our own minds and about how we live our lives. So. If we kill, even if you kill a human being, it's not that there is some divine force who uh, writes it down in a in a big book and when you die, they they'll come and tell you about. It. No, it's all about our own our own being, our own minds that we try to be more kind and more compassionate, and that is first of all because it leads to happiness for ourselves. Because when you are kind, you're always much more happy than when you're angry. <laughs> and when you're killing beings, you're actually hurting inside as well. But it's also 
for the benefit of other beings. That's well, why we practice all these rules. But with not killing, it's obvious, but even with things like lying, it's not just for our own peace of mind that we don't try to lie, but also for other beings as well, that they can live in trust with us and don't have to always doubt. I wish more vegans would take that perspective with their veganism. Um, and here I'm talking mostly about new vegans because they have kind of a like a Abrahamic religious expectation towards their veganism. They think of it as, you know, being commandments. And if they start eating animal products and if they, um, you know, can't, you know, have a, uh, a vegan meal uh, someday at work or something like that. If they added some cheese in um, something uh, at some point, well, they, they feel so bad. They feel guilty. And um, I, I, I truly think that this perspective, this way of looking at veganism um, is not conducive to keeping up with your veganism in the long term. Um, and so I wish vegans would look at it more of like a pro progressive and um you know soft approach like a practice instead of like a, a religious commandment yeah i think that's very very good ryan i i agree with that and sometimes we can look at things in life in very much of a black and white perspective either i succeed or i fail and there's no in between and that is also an attitude many people bring towards veganism, sometimes even before they even try it. They're like, ah, I'm not going to be able to eat 100% vegan diet, so uh, why should I even try? But that is all already, first of all, you give up before you even try, which is never a good thing to do. But also, it is, as I said, black and white thinking. Yeah? Either you succeed or you don't. But there's also such... A big gray area in between and you don't have to be perfectly white to m be able to make a big impact in the world as a monk i i am a vegan as as you said before that's what i call myself anyway but but as a monk your listeners most of won't know that we rely on donations of food from other people uh, we are we don't cook ourselves we rely upon whatever food people bring us and that uh, there's various reasons for that like uh, so people keep in contact with the monks and also so we we don't have any money as well as in our tradition so we we can't even buy food but because of that as a vegan a monk if a monk or nun wants to be a vegan they um it's 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 more difficult than for a non-ordained person because you don't have the ability to go to the store and buy whatever you like. You're always dependent upon what other people bring. And in some monasteries, that's more easy to do, to be vegan as a monastic than in others. Um, but... As a monastic, because I am not always in control of my food, it sometimes happens that I think a certain dish is vegan, that uh, I 
take that dish and put it in my uh, monk's bowl. We have these bowls and for the recording, you can see it's like a bowl we put food in uh, on, on the, for the video recording. And sometimes I always try to get vegan dishes, but sometimes it ends up I, I put the food in and I go back to my hut to eat it and I open up and it ends up um, maybe if, if it's particularly has like cheese or meat in it, then I would take that out. But sometimes it can be that you don't know. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, uh, does this dish, was it uh, made in in um, in vegetable oil or maybe some animal product? I don't know. Um, so you can't be perfect as a monastic when you're trying to be vegan, at least not in my tradition. Uh, I do my best to be as good as possible. But if I would have that attitude of wanting to be 100% perfect about it, then uh, that would create a lot of difficulties. And then I probably wouldn't be able to do what I do now, which is at least be 99% uh, vegan. And sometimes maybe something slips through the, through the cracks, <laughs> uh, which is just the way it is. Yeah. So I would encourage everybody to who is considering veganism also to not have that black and white attitude, but just go day by day. You know, this is another beautiful practice of Buddhism is to live in the present moment. And present moment doesn't just mean in meditation, you focus on the here and now, but it also means don't worry too much about the future or the past in more general terms. Like don't go and plan out your whole life right now because <laughs> it won't happen the way you plan it anyway. But even with veganism, don't envision yourself that you have to be a vegan for your whole life in order for it to succeed. Just start today and practice it for one day. See how that goes. And then tomorrow is another day and another day and another day. I never uh, set a vow for myself that I'm, going to be a vegan for my whole life because it just creates this unnecessary tension and unnecessary uh, weight upon yourself but if i just say oh i'm gonna be a vegan today and then it's very easy and then and tomorrow it's the next day oh, i'm gonna be a vegan today yay and the next day oh hmm, yeah let's be vegan today and i reflect upon it almost every day when i eat my food as monastics we have this reflection we do before we eat food to not eat food for indulgence but for the sake of health but also when it's one of the words in there is to avoid harm uh, in that reflection that's a reflection that the buddha gave to avoid harm and when i eat my food every day i reflect ah i was able to get vegan food again today so we'll have avoided some harm in whatever abstract sense that is because as a monk and nun, if you're not able to choose your own food, it sometimes also feels like you're making less of an impact by being a vegan, but that's an, another topic. But every day to celebrate every day that you were able to do veganism or vegetarianism or whatever today and not to only celebrate it if you're able to do it for your whole life. That is, I think, an attitude which will make it much more easy to do. Yeah. 
thank you for sharing that. It's truly beautiful. I think um, it it gives um, another meaning to 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 being vegan when you start putting truly uh, intention in in your veganism. In um, like you said before, eating, thinking about what you're eating and why you're eating what you're eating. Um, I want to ask you more about your personal journey, uh, your monastic journey, and also your vegan journey. But first, one last point about um, um, metta, this uh, loving kindness, this compassion, this benevolence towards all beings that we have been talking about. Um, there are people out there who are animal abusers. And vegans uh, usually we have lots of i guess anger and you know strong feelings uh, towards those people and distress too and sadness to, towards what they're doing and and i'm thinking here from you know the the workers in 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 the factories in the slaughterhouses the butchers the hunters the people profiting from from that uh, business Uh, of meat trade to you know the people we see on the news abusing their dogs and cats and and fish to the the, the pet store owners to you know th there are <laughs> there's a whole bunch of people out there who not only do not align with vegan attitudes and and values and and beliefs but go at the opposite of them and i think many vegans have this developed this kind of misanthropy they they start to hate humans or um, have kind of many deep resentments towards their species and, and you know when i first became vegan uh, i did have those um, uh, moments of being angry towards family members or friends who eat meat and are not receptive to my vegan preaching So I was wondering, what would be the Buddhist attitude towards uh, and, and view towards those people, the, the, this whole spectrum of, of people who, who go against uh, vegan principles? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. You, you, you can have this feeling of resentment to people who do that sort of stuff that you've mentioned. But probably when you started preaching to your family, they also had some resentment towards you as well. <laughs> yes, like, I can attest to that. You, you used the word preaching, so I, I thought it, I was envisioning uh, you around the dinner table and telling them what, what to eat and what not to eat. Then they'll feel resentment towards you as well. I was annoying. I, uh, I confess, <laughs> I was super annoying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you thought you were coming from a right place, right? When you were doing that. And you were, probably. Well, uh, yeah, but I was mindless, I think. Hmm. Yeah, and this is also the case uh, to, to some extent when people kill other animals, abuse them, engage in the meat trade or any of that stuff that from another perspective you might feel resentful towards is that they are doing what they think is okay, sometimes even good because, for example, butchers might not have that perspective on animals that they are just as sentient as human beings and they 
look at them more like as an object. And of course, from another perspective, you might think, oh, that's so stupid. But if you put yourself in the shoes of that butcher, they also have a family to feed. So they start killing animals, not just because they're angry with animals or something like that. <laughs> you know, that's not what butchers do. And it's because they have families to feed. And this is especially a little bit of a sad situation with slaughterhouse workers, not like just the butcher on the in on the market, but people who are in these big factories. They it's often just the only job they're able to get in in their area. And if they wouldn't have that job, then what else are they gonna do? They'll end up on the street sometimes. And if you look at it like that, you can understand why people people be be more abusive or do uh, do that that sort of work, and and you don't feel resentful towards them because you know if you would have been in that exact same situation, you would have had the exact same mind as them. Imagine that you would, then you would do the exact same thing. And we can always understand every fi- every kind of action that humans do. Uh, people do a lot of bad things, but in the end, they always do it because they think that is from a v- strange perspective. Something, but they sometimes they, they always feel that that is the right thing to do. Um, even if you go kill another tribe or whatever, uh, because you think you need that land for your own tribe. And in a, in a sense, there is a little bit of uh, compassion even in that, although it's compassion only for yourself and your own tribe and not for the, or the other tribe. So it's very limited compassion, but it's a kind of compassion as well. And I look upon people in the meat industry like that, like they are stuck in a situation that they have to feed themselves and their family. And if there would be alternatives, then, and they would be easily available, then they would make the switch right away. That's what I think. So I don't feel resentful towards also animal farmers, you know, often, People have been animal farmers for generations. Their their fathers and mothers were animal farmers. Their grandfathers were. And it goes back all the way. And then, of course, it's not easy to suddenly drop that whole tradition and and start raising uh, not not animals but growing. I don't know corn or whatever. <laughs> you know, it's it's not easy for them to make that switch. So. You can put yourself in their shoes and understand. And in that way, you don't have to be resentful towards other people. And also, maybe this is more relevant sometimes, not be resentful to other people who choose to have a different diet than a vegan diet. Sometimes I realized for myself, when I have all these downsides of a non-vegan diet freshly in my mind and all the benefits of a vegan diet also freshly in my mind then i think like how can you be so stupid to 
eat meat <laughs> and <laughs> how can you be so stupid to uh, drink dairy and stuff it's not healthy and you're just harming all the animals and i don't get resentful but i can imagine how people can be resentful towards other other people around them who don't follow a vegan diet but then probably most of your audience at some point in their lives also weren't vegan and most of them probably grew up also eating animal products i did anyway and uh, i ate a lot of meat uh, especially when i was a lay person and then i just remember what i was like then and i didn't just i couldn't just uh i i just couldn't see i just was to get back to the start of our conversation people are often just not informed enough and you can't blame people for not being informed enough all you can do is try to inform them and then have them make their decisions based on that that's why i uh, love projects like this podcast of yours ryan because it'll reach some people and inform them hopefully about these kind of subjects we have touched uh previously on how you are a monastic and you're also vegan and you mentioned some of the challenges of being vegan and being a monastic why did you make the choice of becoming vegetarian and then vegan uh what convinced you yeah i uh, i wasn't a vegan before i was a monk i was a vegetarian though um ah, it's been a been a long time i came to this monastery 10 years ago and i became a monk 9 years ago and before that as you said i was already practicing vegetarianism um what convinced me it's been a long time i can't really remember but it must have been the uh, animal welfare thing again and i was already a practicing buddhist at that time i practiced in a technician in a tradition by a, a monk called tignat han and he is more um more aimed towards veganism than many other buddhists his tradition is entirely vegan his monastic tradition is Uh, our tradition is not i mean an, ordained in a different tradition but i was practicing as a as a unordained person as a lay person in that tradition and i think it was at that time that i started becoming vegetarian because i realized uh, that it is very much in alignment with buddhist ideas to stop eating meat for all the reasons that we've talked about before and i didn't become a vegan because uh i think i said before i was not properly informed about uh, the dietary side of things and also about the animal welfare side of things i had this idea of dairy cows they just live in a field and they grow old and they uh uh Uh, they become grandmothers and whatever but it's not like that they also get killed uh, if they burn they're basically still uh, a kid themselves in a sense if you come if you compare to animal life animal life to human years i think dairy cows get killed when they're like uh, in their in their teens for a human 
I think they're like four or five years old. But anyway, I didn't know all those things, so I was just a vegetarian. But then uh, I ordained in a monastery where vegetarianism is not widely practiced, although there's other monks who do it as well. And at the start, uh, when I came to this monastery, I was able to still be a vegetarian. And, but it was already harder for the reasons that I talked about before. You ha don't have the choice of your own food, which <laughs> even if you're not a vegetarian can sometimes already be difficult. You know, you just have to eat whatever people give you. And in, to be honest, in this monastery, we get uh, a lot of food. So the support is great. But you're not always in this monastery. We monks, we travel around as well. Um, we're a bit, we call ourselves monks, but we're not like Christian monks who stay in one monastery their whole life. We actually we uh, go to other places, and we're also sometimes invited to eat uh, at people's houses. And then we often accept those invitations. And then you don't get as much choice about your food. So sometimes it was very difficult being a vegetarian and then on top of making that whole switch of living in a monastery which is already difficult so after maybe one or two years actually i gave up on vegetarianism living here i also felt like i'm not making the same difference that i was as before as a layperson because as a layperson at least when i had go to the store i had a choice i either buy uh, the, the, the vegan thing or I buy the meat thing and even that is already a little bit of a distance between from the actual killing but at least you have this financial power to to financial vote to say oh, i'm not gonna buy this i'm gonna buy that if you live in a monastery and you just rely on what people bring you you don't even have that so uh and especially when you when i was here at the start as just a guest uh I felt like, yeah, what, what, what difference is it now making in the world? Uh, nothing, I felt like. And so for all those reasons, I actually gave up on vegetarianism for a while. But at some point, people started asking questions of me when I was a monk. Like, why are monks not vegan and why or, or vegetarian? And I actually didn't have good answers. <laughs> and then I realized I uh, actually I should... I should do this again. I should become uh, uh, become uh, vegetarian again. Why not go all the way vegan? So that has been like uh, four years ago, maybe something like that, four years. And since then, I've also realized that there actually is an impact I'm making, even though, though it's not financial. I When people learn about monks being vegan or vegetarian then it inspires them especially when they're vegan themselves and i think that is a more important impact than just the financial impact of not buying meat because that is sort of my job as a monk is to inspire especially other buddhists to uh, practice the buddhist religion and all many buddhists are vegan and then when they see that monks are not vegan, they get very disappointed and uninspired. So I think it's sort of my job to to, to show that monks and nuns, uh, well, I'm not a nun, but to show that monastics in general can also be vegan. 
And those Buddhists who are vegan that I know find that very helpful. So in that way, I do have an impact. And I have to keep reminding myself of it because it's still sometimes hard uh, from a dietary point of view to be a vegan if you can't control your own food. Like, it's been a while ago, but uh, I was invited to a Thai restaurant together with some other monks to go and eat there. And then was like a new restaurant. It was in one of the most expensive areas of Perth, where I live close by uh, on, on this, like this quay, this, this new area and a really fancy restaurant. And so they invite us then, then to do uh, not just eat there, but do a little blessing and hope, hopefully for the success of that restaurant. That's sort of the idea. And all I could eat there was rice and a banana. Well, there was a whole table full of dishes, but they all had meat in them. So that is just an example. And that's not an exception. It happened other times as well. Um, so you could, luckily that doesn't happen very often because that would make it very difficult. But it does pose challenges. But now I'm able to face those challenges more uh, with a... Uh, positive mindset like okay yeah, this is worth it sometimes struggle a little bit with what food you eat and i also uh, have to say that the more senior i become as a monk and the more people learn about my veganism the more often they actively support it we, we are supposed to just um, not demand any kind of food we can't really ask of lay people, oh, bring us this food, bring us that food. But once they learn like that you're like a vegan, they will know and they'll, <laughs> they'll happily go out of their ways to bring vegan food. So all these Buddhists have been very, these supporters have been very inspiring as well. And that's also what keeps me going now. So that sort of my, was my journey with, with veganism. And I hope to be able to do it uh, today again <laughs> you know what i'm saying I, I was gonna say i hope to be able to do it for the rest of my life but then i remembered my own <laughs> instruction from earlier so <laughs> just gonna do it day by day yeah yes day by day and it's in you know it, it brings home the point i was making in my introduction you know i do believe your role is uh important and that uh, you bring uh, inspiration. I know that you inspire me. Uh, I'm inspired to see a monastic who's uh, vegan and who understands what it is about. Uh, uh, because often you hear, you know, other community leaders, not just religious leaders, but also politicians that we uh, vote for. And um, they reject veganism, but they're not rejecting veganism. They're rejecting the idea they have of veganism and it's the wrong idea so it's a misunderstanding of veganism it's a, they don't understand what veganism is about they don't understand the ethical argument and they that's what they are you know rejecting and criticizing or um, um, not being receptive to and so to see you know leaders who not only understand what is veganism about uh, but also have decided to adopt it and support it. Um, it's it's it is truly inspiring. Ah, thank you for that. I'm not exactly sure what kind of 
misinformed view of veganism people might have, but uh, I'm happy to hear that. It's inspiring for people like you to see religious leaders to adopt veganism. And even, uh, even if all the animal welfare and health and environmental issues, all these things we haven't even talked about, but your listeners will know about, even if those would not be um, so much of an issue, then for me, in my position as a Buddhist monk, it is important to be able to inspire or at least not discourage any kind of people who might be interested in my religion. For for example, so I've heard from fellow vegan Buddhists, we have our little uh, connections here as well, of course, that sometimes they bring their friends to the monastery, uh, their, their, their vegan friends, and they see how much animal products the other people bring and that the monastics eat them as well. And then they get really discouraged and never come back to the monastery ever again. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's so saddening because they shouldn't ideally just be put off from visiting the monastery for that reason. If they are put off from Buddhism for any of its philosophical ideas, if they don't accept uh, the, the uh, compassion thing or they don't accept the rebirth thing, and uh, it's like, ah, Buddhism is just a stupid religion uh, philosophically, then that is what, fine with me if they reject Buddhism because of that. But if they are discouraged for something that I am so that I'm in a position to do something about, <laughs> like uh, something as, as simple as changing what I eat. Um, if they are discouraged because of uh, the diet, then I think that's something I should do something about. And I know for a fact that uh, there are people who are happy to see monastics uh, enjoy a vegan diet as well. And actually, I enjoy it more than my diet before actually i think it's more tasty now that it's only difficult when you have only rice as an option but uh even then actually now it's not difficult anymore because the the taste of meat and just meat and dairy product they start become like repulsive to me like uh, why would you eat that even in the, uh, even thinking about it now i get this shiver like yeah i don't want to eat that it's like yeah, so it's not. It's now. It's very easy, actually. But uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, happy that it inspires some people. Hopefully, more people will be inspired to pick it up in the future as well, because it does have a lot of benefits for everybody involved, the practitioner of veganism, as well as the animals as well. The the, the misunderstanding part. Um, uh, I, I was talking about. Uh, an example of that um, that comes to mind is a politician, a well-known politician here uh, in Quebec, in Canada, where I am. Um, he he spoke out publicly against uh, a few vegan activists who intruded into um, uh, a farm to protest. And he said, uh, you know, I... yeah, at the parliament, he said publicly, you know, um, my message to uh, vegan Quebecers is, there are people in Quebec who 
like the meat, the taste of meat, and you should respect that. And I was thinking, I also like the taste of meat. This is not why I became vegan. You know, this is you're not um, you're not getting why. Um, what is this about truly? And and I think that there are more and more uh, people, um, not just vegans, but who who look at religious leaders and they, you know, we think of religious leaders as the one who um, have you know moral clarity, who are here to to guide us through all sorts of um, difficult, complex choices that. Uh, and decisions we 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 make in our lives, and I think their authority and their legitimacy can be undermined when we see them supporting such a horrific industry um, and not denouncing it, or at least not being sympathetic to the uh, animal protection cause. Yeah, yeah. So I can understand why v- people get put off by some of the more um, rebellious side of the vegan movement let's put it that way that yeah if people go and infiltrate animal farms and whatever um i don't have any objections to it myself i'll probably even support those people as long as they don't hurt anybody else but yeah i think we can approach veganism from uh different perspectives as well and i think maybe that the as you say this the religious side not just buddhism but other religions as well i know you've spoken to a, a priest as well in your podcast yes yeah, a Catholic. i think that, okay yeah and i think those have something to uh, offer in the conversation as well yeah i agree as um maybe a parting question i wanted to ask about dharma voices uh for animals i think i got the name correctly this mm-hmm. is uh I think the only global organization of uh, vegan advocacy by and directed to uh, Buddhists and you know more specifically uh, monastics, so um, maybe Buddhist religious leaders. Can you tell us a little bit about this organization and how we can support it? Yeah, I'm not directly involved in it myself. There are, they have chapters all over the world. And the, the chapter here in Western Australia is um, sort of in hibernation a little bit. Um, they used to meet more often than they do now. And the, the people who were involved still come together. And I think they're trying to publish some sort of um, booklets and stuff. Um, but there is, yeah, there is a Buddhist organization, Dharma Voices for Animals. And the word Dharma is D-H-A-R-M-A. And then voices for animals. And as I said, I'm not directly involved with it myself. I know some of the leaders here from the the um, Western Australia chapter, but we haven't done too much lately anyway. But in, I know it's more active in some other countries, like uh, I think the US and Sri Lanka and things like that, yeah. And uh, I would gladly support them for what they do. I, I will leave a link uh, in the description for people who want to check out their website. So, Venerable, did you have anything more to to add to the conversation before uh, I stop the recording? I think we touched upon all the main things 
that I would have liked to uh, to address. But I want to just, I think, one, just once more highlight this point of not being perfect in veganism. And this is not just because an attitude of uh, perfectionism makes veganism harder, but also makes <laughs> our whole life harder. And we, we talked a lot about veganism from this perspective of benefiting animals in the sense that they don't get harm. But from a spiritual perspective, we can also practice veganism um, for our own benefits. And maybe that sounds a little bit selfish, but I don't mean it in that sense. I mean it in the sense of when we uh, have the right attitude towards our food or well, the, the right attitude, I mean, have a, a better attitude towards what we eat and have come out of compassion. And as I said, uh, not to eat in a way that causes harm, then we ourselves become more happy people, in my experience. And so we benefit from it as well. And if we then have this attitude of perfectionism, then we can take away much of that benefit that we are able to get out of practicing veganism. Even if you just practice veganism for a day and reflect upon it, oh, I uh, probably caused less animal suffering today, then you can be very happy for that. And then if the next day uh, maybe you're not able to do it for whatever social reason or whatever, then you don't beat yourself up for it, but just... Uh, try again the next day. I think that is the main message I would like to leave people with. Amazing. So again, thank you so much, Venerable, for having accepted my invitation and having answered my questions. Okay. Thank you very much, Ryan, and I wish you much success with uh, your podcast. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I kindly invite you to share this podcast with the vegans you know. Let's encourage more people to take action. Again, thank you so much for caring, and I will see you next Tuesday for a new episode. Medium,